Now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. Today on Millionaire, how big is your backyard? A discussion on where, when, and how fast to grow your real estate empire. Plus, three secrets to win every single negotiation and learn how to analyze every investment quickly for your maximum returns. Remember, you really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. Seth Godin says, the problem with the race to the bottom is you might win. Recently, I've been watching a lot of reruns of Shark Tank. I love that show. You'll notice a common refrain from the sharks, make it offshore for less money. Whatever the widget is, they, they want you to make it offshore for less money and maximum profits. Look, I love profits. One of my greatest joys, though, is every now and then one of these entrepreneurs standing on the carpet looking for an investment from one of the sharks. They'll stand up and say, no, no, this is an American-made product, and that's the way it's going to stay. See, this race to the bottom mentality has also crept into our pharmaceutical supply chain, supplements, antibiotics, anything you can think of. We've had this race to the bottom mentality for so long, I don't think we realized how close we were to winning it until COVID hit. See, it's going to take you and me to stop this cycle. Well, what can you do about it? You can continue to invest in your own backyard. Your fortune is right here in America. You make it here in America, keep it here in America. The Backyard Millionaire Formula is your path to wealth where you are with what you've got. your backyard. A question came in from Skip. He says, Chris, I'd like to hear you talk about buying rental property out of state. Well, that begs the question, how big is your backyard? I was at a speaker's conference, probably about 2011 or 12 in San Diego. Ironically, most of the attendees were chiropractors. I was shocked, but apparently speaking and public speaking and engagement in this kind of an arena is where they garner a lot of their future business. So a lot of chiropractors want to learn how to speak publicly. There was a few real estate investors like myself and some bankers. Well, one young guy and I got to know each other. He was from Silicon Valley. He'd actually been a programmer, a computer programmer for years, um, probably 10 or 12 years. He'd been a computer programmer. And then he decided to get into real estate investment. He said, and he proclaimed very proudly, he had about 150 or 175 doors. I forget which. But you, you know you're dealing with somebody who's taken a course when they count their investment indoors. And he was pretty excited about it. And I, I was impressed and I wanted to know more about how he had assembled this sort of an empire. And here's the fact. Most of the units he owned, he had himself never been to. Yep, he was purely buying sight unseen. And, and the truth of it is he had no relationship 
whatsoever with his tenants. How could you? He's never been there. They were just they were just leases. They were just numbers on a on a page for him. Property manager, same thing. You can't have a relationship with somebody you've never really met taking care of your properties. All you can have at best is some sort of a contractual obligation. And I worried for him. He was relying 100% on an algorithm he'd written to calculate his own rate of return, his return on his investment. And, you know, that's great. That's wonderful. Knowing your numbers is fantastic. You've got to know your numbers. Tillman Fertitta says, if you don't know your numbers, you don't have a business. I agree. Got to know your numbers. But that's all this young guy had. So we got to talking. And I had mentioned something about a, a crash and in, in how somebody had reinvented themselves after a big, uh, they had overreached, they'd way out over their skis, and, and then the crash came. And he goes, you mean the, in 08? I'm like, no, 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 before that. And he goes, there was a crash before 08? Um, yeah. <laughs> so he had a lot of learning to do. He didn't know what he didn't know, and he didn't know his tenants. He didn't know his properties very well. He didn't know his property managers like to look them in the eye and, and make sure they're trustworthy and doing good work for him. So I was worried about how big his backyard was. Here's my thought. Becoming a backyard millionaire is a slow process. It's not get rich quick. As you go, so you grow, both in wealth and wealth of knowledge. So my formula for expanding your own backyard beyond your borders of your state or even beyond the borders of an hour or two drive, consider that. Before you grow and blow up too big, beyond what you can go visit this afternoon, think about this. I want you to think about expanding your borders in your backyard only after you own and control four rentals. After you own and control four rentals, I believe you'll have garnered enough education about properties, property management, tenants, the proclivities of property and property management, and you'll have an incredible sense of what your personal rate of return is versus what you've read in a book or learned online. This is your personal rate of return. You can have a real good handle on it. So once you've got this superior fingertip feel for investing in your own backyard, then you can begin to expand your sites. I still don't recommend going whole hog instantly into the first deal you find outside of your footprint. Understand that market, maybe watch it. I mean, I'm watching a particular market that's 3000 miles from where I'm sitting right now and it's been several years, and I still haven't found the right investment for me. We, Tiffany and I are still looking. We haven't given up, but we haven't also completely given over to the lust of this is where we like to go on vacation. And that's another proviso. Be careful that you're not just going to ruin your vacation place by making an investment because you're putting on the googly goggles, uh, goggles of being on vacation, you know, the margarita goggles or the, you know, the, the wonderful little umbrella drink goggles and the white sand and the, the beach and everything else can be very alluring. You want to make sure that the investment is strong and you truly understand that backyard well beyond yours. Skip, I hope that answers your question. It's not that I don't want people investing outside of their footprint, geographically speaking. I just want you to have mastered your own backyard before you expand it too far and get out over your skis and unfortunately tumble down the hill. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. Up next, winning every negotiation. Stick around, much more to come. 
Direct from Homer, Alaska. Don't panic. Just come up with a good story. Here's the host of Backyard Millionaire, Chris Story. Millionaire secrets on winning every negotiation. Wait, now can you really win every negotiation? Is that even possible? I'm so glad you asked. Yes, you can. If you know and abide by these three secrets, you truly can win every single negotiation. The first secret is to care, but not that much. That's courtesy of Herb Cohen. If you go into every negotiation absent any emotion, you have already won. Herb says, and he shared this with me personally on a phone call, and I say that to impress you. (laughs) But he's right. If you can remove emotions from your negotiation, you simply cannot be beat. In every negotiation, the other side can't beat you Only you can beat yourself, and usually what you do is beat yourself to death in a negotiation with your own emotions. So if you can strip away every ounce of feeling and walk into every negotiation a winner by caring, but not that much. Second secret, begin every negotiation with the end in mind. It may take you a while to get there, but you know where you're going before you ever take off. You know where the plane's going to land, where you want it to land. And like a plane that's off course most of your trip, you don't even know it. The pilot's making adjustments constantly. You might have to make some tweaks along your journey. But if you begin every negotiation with the end in mind, you've already won because you're not going to be persuaded to go someplace else. You know where you want to go. And the third secret to winning every negotiation you ever enter is to seek first to understand, then be understood. Stephen Covey made this one of his seven habits for a good reason. It's how to win in every relationship, including every negotiation. And that's really what a negotiation is. It's a relationship. So walk into your next negotiation with these three secrets in your pocket and in your mind, and you'll walk in a winner and you'll walk out a winner. Negotiate like a millionaire by caring, but not that much. the need for speed. How to analyze every investment quickly. Time is your enemy. That's always been true, but even more so today in today's hyper-fast, docu-sign, sight-unseen, multiple-offer world of real estate. You need to be able to evaluate every single deal as fast as you can so you can act fast. Even if you're not going to act at all, you want to know quickly. So to act fast, you'll need to do these things. Number one, make sure you know what you can do before you decide what you want to do. That's right, get pre-qualified. Get with your mortgage lender quickly and just say, look, I'd like to have a standing pre-qualification. Obviously, it's gonna be subject to the property. It's gonna be subject to a few different things that might be circumstantial and unique in every single deal you come across. But if you've got this pre-arranged standing pre-qualification and you're constantly submitting updated documents to your lender as things change in your life, that's like if you haven't made an investment in a while, they don't have your latest tax returns, get them your latest tax returns because that's always gonna be a requirement. Things like that. Um, You wanna make sure that, again, you know what you can do before you decide what you want to do, have your pre-qualification in your mortgage plan nailed down airtight. Secondly, know your PROI. What is your personal rate of return that you expect out of every investment? 
And that's a little bit like a water balloon. You can squeeze on one end or the other to move things around in your own personal return plan, but make sure you don't bust the balloon. You, you make sure that you, you know what you want to do and what you expect from every property. Again, it might be that some property you take and accept a little bit less cash flow. Like you're okay with less cash flow on this property because you see where the neighborhood's going and growing and you see it appreciating exponentially over time. So others can talk about their EBITDA, their cap rates and so forth, and what you ought to be doing, what you ought to expect out of a personal you know, return on investment. But remember, it's personal for a reason. It's your determination. You get to decide what's your money going to make you. What do you demand of your money? What's your personal requirement for every investment you make? I was talking to a guy recently, and he was telling me about an investment. And I don't want to say bragging, but kind of bragging about the rate of return. And I was like, wow. That's really impressive. But to arrive at that number, to impress me, he had to remove his debt service. So he was playing a mental game with himself. He was acting as though he owned it free and clear, and he didn't. And so he removed one of those line items, a big expense, servicing the debt to show himself of the cash return. Fine, if that property's working for him and it's achieving what he wants personally, who am I to say he's wrong? But don't delude yourself and certainly don't measure your success against what others are telling you is their requirement or their measurement. Use the metric of your own success by determining upfront and well in advance of an investment what you require of your money and how much your money is going to make for you. Backyard Mastermind. Napoleon Hill made the mastermind very famous in 1922 with his first big book, The Law of Success. He'd repeat and amplify this mastermind concept in what he really is known for, his masterful work called Think and Grow Rich. He wrote that in 1936. And by the way, when he wrote that book, he was flat broke, living with his adult son and some argue emotionally abusing his adult son, not nice to him or his daughter-in-law for whatever reason. Bottom line is he started over at middle age when he was, uh, again, dirt poor. So that should give all of us some hope, no matter where you're at, uh, at on the ladder of life, it ain't never too late. So let's dig into what a mastermind is. When two or more minds come together, said Napoleon Hill, a third mind is formed a mastermind. Now, he learned this concept from Andrew Carnegie, who had immigrated to America from Scotland when he was a child, and discovered this principle, put it to work, and became arguably the richest man in the world. Around the turn of the century, he would have been worth something like 350, 400 million, which today's dollars is putting him into 100 billion. He'd be, he'd be today's Elon Musk, was Andrew Carnegie at the turn of the century. So he knew what he was doing. His business was steel, but really it wasn't. Andrew Carnegie's business was people, and he knew how to create a mastermind and put it to work. So Napoleon Hill says, this third mind is far more powerful than any of the individual minds separate. So when two people come together, create a mastermind, you really are putting power to work, which is organized and intelligently directed knowledge. 
See, the power is not in just knowing this. The power is in putting it to work, the doing. Think, then do, and become. And I, I think this is a master formula for success in anything you want to do. I consider this program to be our mastermind. And it goes both ways. You know how to reach me. You can text me or call me anytime, 907-299-7653. I'm here for you just like you are there for me. I'm stuck on you. I got this feeling down deep in my soul that I just can't lose. Yes, I'm on my way. Yeah. I needed a friend in the way I feel now. Guess I'll be with you till the end. Guess I'm on my way. I'm mighty glad you stayed. I'm stuck on you. I've been a fool too long. I guess it's time for me to come on. You're listening to the Backyard Millionaire. I'm Chris Story along with Mr. David Webb. This is, in fact, what my mom calls the greatest show on earth. Visit my website anytime, ilovehomeralaska.com. Want to drop a comment or question? You can do it right from our website, ilovehomeralaska.com. Also, I hope you've already, it's not too late, but I hope you've already subscribed to this program. You could do so on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Share it with a friend, maybe somebody you know that needs it. The Backyard Millionaire. I've got several books on my desk. I've got in my library next next to my chair. And Tiffany, bless her heart, got us a couple of beautiful, beautiful. We had comfortable chairs before. Now we have beautiful chairs. And next to the beautiful chairs is a little card table. And on it right now are like eight books I'm in the middle of. But I just got another one in the mail. And I'm so excited. I cannot wait to dive into it. What's wrong with me? Stuck on you. I got this feeling down deep in my soul that I just can't lose. I guess I'm on my way. Oh, I we were out fishing with my cousin the other day, and he was being polite and said, Hey, Chris, he knows I like to read. He goes, Chris, what are you reading these days? And I just, I gotta be honest. I sounded priggish when I answered because there was like eight or nine books that I rattled off, and it just sounded like a total arrogant nerd or just a nerd I don't know I do think there is something wrong with me that I cannot focus on a singular book at a time one of the books I'm reading right now you should know is The Watchman I am so excited about my new book it's a sequel to The Making a Man have you got The Making a Man in your library yet? A little bit later in the broadcast, we're going to be talking about what to add to your millionaire library. Do I have to say, does it need to be said that you ought to have in your millionaire library a copies of all of my books to include The Making of Man, which is the setting the stage for the character Jacob Man. Jacob Man is every man. Well, he's not every man. He's a realtor that doesn't wear a cape, but is a hero nonetheless. Because let's face it. You can say what you want to about crab fishermen, firefighters, you know what I mean? But truly, we know who the brave and the courageous are amongst us. It's realtors that walk into an empty house unarmed, 
armed only with our mental acuity. Is that a word? Look it up real quick. Let's see. Acuity. Acuity. Our mental wits about us at 50% of the time. They work 90% of the time. Anyway, I'm so excited. The, the Watchman has come together. Got it back from the editor. I'm just making little tweaks. I had it bound the other day. had it comb bound so I could actually read it like a book. And uh, I'm just so excited. It is truly probably the best story I've ever told. Speaking of books, I'm holding in my hands right now a hardcover copy, first edition. I suggest you add this to your library as well. Uh, it's called The Buy and Hold Real Estate Strategy. David Schumacher wrote it along with Eric Page Busey. And it's a book that I say in many ways was the launching or the launch pad, if you will, of my, my real estate career. I'd wanted to be in real estate before I got in the book, but I, I don't know that I knew it was for me. You know, you know I have a PhGED, and I just, I, I don't know, it just felt out of reach. Ownership of multiple properties, being a landlord, I, I just don't think until Chuck Huff put this book in my hand, I'm not sure that I believed I could do that. I don't believe I thought it was available to me. That said, I read this book, cover to cover at least twice a year, but I leave through it all the time. And I have since he handed it to me in 1993. And I want to just share a couple of lines from Dr. David Schumacher. He says, be sure to buy a 22-unit motel when a Holiday Inn is being, oh, <laughs> whoops, keyword, be sure not to buy a 22-unit motel when a Holiday Inn is being built two blocks down the street. That's a quick little line to say, Know what's happening around you before you make your investment. It's called due diligence. Do your due diligence or it will do you. Got to be careful. Got to know what's going on. You have to know the landscape. He said another thing, avoid the loss of income by performing a periodic rental analysis of the area to keep up with what is happening in the market and adjust rents accordingly. Do you know how many people do not adjust rents? And in some respects, I understand... If you're one of them, I understand why you don't sometimes because you feel like ah, they're having a tough time or, boy, you know, I don't know. It's been this way for years. Here's the challenge. Understand two things. Number one, at some point, there's going to be a shock of cold water on that tenant when the harsh reality of, A, you sell the building, new landlord comes in and adjusts rent immediately. So rather than boiling the frog, uh-uh, it's, it's instant discomfort when the rents go up to fair market rent instantly versus over time, okay, that adjustment period, that hyperinflation that they'll feel either when you sell it or you realize what you've got to do to make the property saleable. And that's my second point. Properties like yours, if you're in multifamily and that's a duplex, triplex, uh, fourplex and up, or even single-family residences that are used as rentals and going to be compared as such, are based in part, or at least the appraised value is based in part, on its income, on its ability to produce income above and beyond expenses. So the higher the rent, the more valuable the property. The lower the rent, the less valuable the property. So when an appraiser calls me up, say for example, in my area and says, hey, Chris, do you have any two-bedroom comps, two-bedroom, one-bath, three-bedroom, two-bath, whatever comps for rent, and I give them those rents? Point in fact, if my rents are in keeping with fair market value, I'm actually helping the market. 
because that appraiser is then going to give a more accurate reflection and a higher valuation on the multifamily, which is what you want. A couple of points. From Dr. David Schumacher, he says, you can never be too knowledgeable. You can never be too knowledgeable. Another little quip, he says, when prices go so high you can no longer afford to buy, start putting money into fixing up your existing properties. That is what we call living like you're selling because one day you will. So live like you're selling in your home, your primary home, and with your investments. And if you do find that you're, you're applying the Dolph DeRoos 110-3-1 formula, looking at 100 properties, getting really cozy and close on 10 of them, maybe make three offers, get one accepted, maybe that formula takes you a couple of years. Meanwhile, you're still putting elbow grease and some money, time, and attention into your existing properties because you do not want to let them go downhill. You want to be up to date and have your properties as saleable as possible. Son, I've made a life out of reading people's faces, knowing what the cards were by the way they held their eyes. So if you don't mind me saying... You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. Up next, building your millionaire library and news from on top of the world. Stick around. So I handed him my bottle and he drank down my last swallow. Welcome to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a What's in your millionaire library? Seth Godin is a hero of mine, and you'll hear me quote him frequently on this show. Well, he's got a new book coming out. I pre-ordered it. I suggest you do the same thing. The new book drops in May. Get it. Pre-order it right now at Amazon or wherever you buy books online, and or ask your bookstore to order it for you. Seth Godin's book is called Song of Significance, an urgent manifesto for teams and leaders facing unprecedented challenges. So may I suggest you add Seth's new book to your library. Get some of his other books as well. Tribes, an excellent book. This is marketing. I definitely recommend And the Practice. Some of his more recent works really belong in your millionaire library. Can you become a backyard millionaire without any money? Yeah. So what if you are flat broke? Can you become a backyard millionaire? Of course you can. First of all, you're listening to The Backyard Millionaire absolutely free. And you know this show is chock-a-block full of advice and know-how. And I promise you this, if you listen to this show for one year, you'll have an equivalent of a four-year degree in real estate. That's a fact. Did We, we did fact-check that, right? Okay, good. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Also, you can get My Millionaire Maker absolutely free. Six practical steps to your first four homes. All you have to do is send the word millionaire at 907-299-7653. Send the word millionaire and your email address at 907-299-7653. And what I'll do today is send you a copy of the ebook, The Millionaire Maker, absolutely free today. So the idea is to be, do, and then have. So if to be is all about your mindset, and it is, 
you can get your mind right and the money will follow. First thing you do to become a backyard millionaire is to decide to do it. And once you've made that decision, the only person on earth that can stop you is you. Get my Millionaire Maker right now. Text the word millionaire and your email address at 907-299-7653. Say love is more precious than gold. It can be bought and it can't be sold. With news from on top of the world, I'm Chris Story. Five point nine million people visit the Grand Canyon every year. Well, what makes John Jepkema different? Well, the fact that he went from rim to rim in five days at the age of ninety-one. So many lives were lost in February's earthquake in Turkey. One mother thought her baby girl was among the death toll. For 54 days, she lived as only a grieving mother can understand. Then, she learned the truth. Her baby had survived under the rubble somehow for 128 hours, was rescued and taken to a hospital, where there, they presumed her mother was already dead. Now, reunited... Only one word will complete this story. Miracle. Trees of Greenland, red roses too. I watched them bloom for me and you and I think to myself. Listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Have you ever heard of Ikigai? <coughs> no, it's not a it's not a sound, it's a word. It's a Japanese word. Ikigai. Well, it's a concept. Yeah, it's a word, but but truly Ikigai is a concept. And I, I we Tiffany and I have a small book in our library, and I couldn't find it this morning. I didn't look that hard, but I, I didn't run across it really quickly. I should have some sort of a Dewey Decimal System, something I should have in there. But I, it's interesting. Out of the, I don't know, thousand books or whatever we've got in there, I've got a pretty good sense. If you said, hey, where's this author or that book or this? I have a pretty good schematic in my mind of what's what. But this little book, I couldn't find it. It is a small, little, unusual book. But Ikigai is a Japanese concept, meaning reason for being. 
reason for being. You, you and I probably call this purpose in a word. <laughs> have you ever seen those, um, you know, the, uh, I can't remember, where was it? It might have been an SNL thing or it could have been a meme. I don't remember, but it was like people, um, Japanese people had tattoos that were like American words like water, English words, water, W-A-T. You know, like because we get the, the Japanese or Chinese symbols, tattoos, not we as in me, but others. And like water or, you know, air, whatever. I thought that was kind of funny. But the word that we would probably encourage tattooing would be purpose. And it consists of four parts, four elements, the Japanese call it. The first element is what you love. So this is, again, the concept of ikigai, what you love, combined with or matched with or paired with what you're good at. So again, we're, we're solving for purpose here, right? Solving for purpose. What are you good at and what do you love? And when those two things come together, combined with, what you can get paid for, you've got magic. But now hold on a second because this is a four-part concept. Four parts. Ready? First one again, what you love combined with what you're good at combined with what you can get paid for. And lastly, and the cherry on top, what the world needs. That's purpose. That's your purpose. Finding purpose isn't as hard as we thought in life. Leave it to the Japanese to come up with a concept so simple, expressed in one beautiful word when said properly. Ikigai. You might say ikigai. Ikigai. Reason for being. Four elements. What you love, what you're good at, what you can get paid for, and what does the world need? A little bit later in the program, I'm going to share a piece of that conversation. Remember how earlier I was bragging about Herb Cohen and I on the phone together? Well, I've got a piece of it. It's about geopolitical negotiation, but it's a negotiation at large. Negotiation by any other name is all the same, no matter whether you're negotiating with uh, a world leader, a dictator, or uh, somebody in your own backyard. Negotiation principles are uh, the same, no matter where you go. So Herb Cohen will be here in just a little bit, and we'll share just a piece of that conversation. Of course, you can hear the whole conversation on our podcast if you go to ilovehomeralaska.com. Next week, Tiffany will be back here on The Backyard Millionaire, and we are going to be talking about something that I'm incredibly excited about. I was going to keep it a secret. I wasn't going to tell you until she got here. I'm going to tell you anyway. Tiffany's going to bring us four things it's going to upset some people I know, but she's going to bring you four things your real estate agent isn't telling you. I'm Chris Story, and this is your Millionaire Minute. It's not an optical illusion. It just looks like one. Stephen Wright isn't wrong. Sometimes the way you look at a thing actually changes the thing or circumstance. What if instead of looking around a neighborhood and you see other people's homes, what if instead you see a mini stock market, one in which you can buy as many shares as you like? If you want a million dollar net worth or more, you simply have to own 
four homes. Well, look around. You're surrounded by millions of dollars worth of real estate. It's not an optical illusion. It just looks like one. See yourself as a millionaire, then watch your net worth grow. The magic of illusion is it's not an illusion at all. From the Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story. Famous and infamous. Do you know the difference? Here on The Backyard Millionaire, I like to talk about words because words matter. How you use, even though I'll make up words sometimes, and like Claire Dumphy said on Modern Family, half of vocabulary is all about confidence. Just say it with confidence. If you think you're a little bit wrong, don't let it show. Never let them see you sweat or fret or have regret when it comes to what you said. Famous. Well, famous is a word that describes something or someone with a lot of influence or followers. Someone is famous when lots of people know them. Duh. Actors, singers, political leaders, radio talk show hosts. Oh, by the way, that's the squirrel. That's the book I just got. The Art of Talk by Art Bell. Are you an Art Bell fan? I love Art Bell. I loved Art Bell, I should say. He's passed away. We lost him, what, in 2020, 21, somewhere in there. Loved his show. I used to drive uh, the, the highway a lot with our pottery business. We'd be up and down the road. Lots of late night drives for Chris coming back from a show. And Art was my company. Art was my friend. I loved Art Bell. He was famous. All right, that's famous, right? Somebody who's well-known. Well, infamous or infamy means despicable reputation. Therefore, infamous is entirely negative. There is no wiggle room here. Pearl Harbor is often used as an example. Since President Franklin Delano Roosevelt referred to it as day which will live in infamy. Infamous. So know the difference. Say, how about this? Some say Donald is famous. Well, and Alvin is fast becoming infamous. Do you believe that what you see, you get? Do you believe that what you think about will come about and be real in your life? And that could be from health to wealth. Do you think you have the power in your mind to control elements of your body? Of course you do. But what about your health? How you think can and will impact how you live. Your health, your wealth, your happiness, your relationships. Be careful about what you think about because you truly will bring it about into your life. I'm Chris Story along with Mr. David Webb. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. In just a moment, you'll be hearing directly from the legend himself, Mr. Herb Cohen, here in your own backyard. Stick around. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story. You can find me online again at my website. It's a beautiful website. And you can find the podcasts, our books. You can search for properties all over Alaska at ilovehomeralaska.com. I've got a book in my hands here that um, I don't, I think I've talked to you about it a little bit. It's called Life is Good, the book by Bert and John Jacobs, founders of Life is Good. And I'm just always struck when I pick up this book by the simplicity of these two guys, their success. They're, it's just, 
I think, and do you agree that sometimes we just tend to overcomplicate life? Like life doesn't have to be so hard. I think a lot of times, going back to a point I made a moment ago, I think the way you think about things can change the things that you're thinking about in a way that it can become more complicated. So many times I'll approach something and I have one of these minds, and maybe you can relate to this, where, where you think about starting something, the start, just it's exciting, you're invigorated, it's just amazing. And then you can see in your mind's eye, you flash forward to the finished thing or product or business or company, whatever it is. You can fast forward and see it. But then all of a sudden, every little step along the way begins to just pollute your mind and then you're like, you know what? Um, it's probably going to take 22 hours to complete this. And so I'm going to wait to start until here. And then here becomes there and there becomes somewhere. And then somewhere becomes nowhere because it's too complicated. When you get a hold of somebody in your life that can dilute that, that concentration or whatever, whatever is a good analogy to say, help you see through the light, through the night with a light, whatever it is that makes sense to you, like, that somebody that can go, no, 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 let's just start right here and just take the next step in front of you and the next step. So I'm just looking at this book. Two brothers, two shaggy Maine boys, or they're from Boston, I think, yeah. Uh, Massachusetts guys. Um, wonderful family, really impoverished background, angry father, and yet they came out with a company that made... A fortune is continuing to make a fortune on three words. Life is good. And you and I keep buying their things and buying their brand and buying the belief in what they're saying because guess what? Life is good. Herb Cohen joined me a few years back. You maybe heard the whole conversation. Maybe you didn't. In regards to geopolitical negotiations, I wanted to share this snippet of Herb Cohen and me. You've worked with presidents, you've worked with foreign heads of state, etc. Um, in your high profile career, Herb, does any any particular negotiation, um, even just sort of a rough sketch of it, come to mind of like one of the most memorable high profile negotiations where, where maybe you had to put some of your own um, principles and negotiating skills to the real test? As you would imagine, Chris, you're always... You know, if you're you're smart, you're using your principles. You recognize, for example, that concessions and agreements occur in proximity to a deadline. And therefore, if the deadline is movable and the other side knows it is, uh, then they're not going to make concessions. So like we are negotiating currently with Iran, you know, we don't want them to have nuclear weapons. And it, the first question asked is, what's the deadline? Well, there really is, there was a deadline. If you were Iran, would you make any concessions? No. <laughs> no. And, no. And so we're getting, you know, out-negotiated. But um, the ones that come to mind that were the most interesting is probably... Uh, well, the one that took the most time was the Iran hostage crisis because I was an advisor to President Carter and, uh, 
And it, he only called me in because of desperation. And I think the FBI recommended me. Um, you know, everyone has heard about this, you know, although many in the audience, uh, your listeners were too young to actually experience this, but, um, a horde of Iranians, a militants, some students climbed over the wall of the American embassy. They originally took 300, uh, hostages, embassy personnel, and then that was cut down to 52 and President Carter at the beginning was wise, you know, he didn't do much, he didn't say much, and uh, then he was trying to get him back. The problem was he was like an inexperienced international negotiator, in international negotiating, but the Iranians really good negotiators. I mean, it, people in your audience could think, you know, when was the last time you purchased a Persian rug retail. I mean, <laughs> even if you wanted to, they wouldn't let you do cultural sin. Right. And so, what was President Carter's initial strategy? I mean, this is like silly. Uh, he told the American people to pray for the hostages. He told uh, everyone to light a candle for the hostages. And uh, ultimately said, why don't you tie a yellow ribbon around preferably an old oak tree. Needless to say, none of that stuff worked. The only thing was that it made um, Tony Orlando and Dawn, you know, a lot of money with the song, tie a yellow ribbon, you know. And uh, so he called me in and I, you know, gave him my opinion on what to do. And uh, he started to listen to me and then he didn't. And, uh, and ultimately, I predict the exact date that the hostages would be released. You know, people behaved in certain ways. And, and what I predicted really came to pass, which shocked a lot of people. <laughs> um, but that was, uh, you know, an interesting negotiation that people had written about and my role in that. And there was a negotiation with the Soviets, which is very much like negotiating with Iran. And uh, one of the things we did, uh, I'm talking about, by the way, the strategic uh, arms reduction talks. These were the long-range ballistic missiles. Uh, Walter Mondale ran for the presidency, and he was for a nuclear freeze. At the time, the United States had enough nuclear weapons to blow up the Earth 3,000 times, and the Russians or Soviets had enough nuclear weapons to blow the Earth 500 times. So it seemed to me that a freeze was stupid. What we should do is cut back. We didn't have to blow it up 3,000 times. Uh, and so Reagan was the president, and he ultimately said, okay, negotiate. And uh, the long-range, uh, Paul Nietzsche headed up the intermediate, the INF negotiations, and Ed Rowney headed up the long-range negotiation, and I was an advisor to him and took part in those negotiations. And what is interesting, it was, at the time, there was a problem with uh, the refuseniks. These were like Soviet Jews who wanted to get out of uh, 
Soviet Union and Moscow wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't even talk about it. And one of the more famous ones was uh, Anatol Sharansky, who was in a gulag. He was in prison. Every negotiation we had, we started out talking about releasing the refuseniks and releasing Sharansky. And then we got into the substance of the deal. And by the way, not only do we make a deal, which is probably the only agreement still standing that both sides keep, kept, but uh, um, Sharansky was released from prison. And the point I'm making is we have four or five Americans in Iranian prisons, some of whom are being tortured. And this administration says, oh, we can't, we can't bring that up. You know, we can't bring up anything else other than this agreement. What are you, crazy? You're putting unnecessary restraints upon yourself. I bring everything up. Everything's negotiable. Exactly. It's almost as though they're operating without the guidance of your fantastic books. And that's a mistake. I'm telling you, if I was in a in a prison cell somewhere where in, a, in my life depended upon it, uh, I'd really want somebody. And, and truth be told, our, everybody in the country, our lives really do depend upon those top negotiators. And uh, it's a fascinating story, Herb. Thank you for sharing it. That's the legend himself, Herb Cohen. Your Backyard Millionaire Library should include his book called Negotiate This by Caring, but not that much. And, of course, that conversation went on for over an hour. I loved meeting and, I'd say, becoming friends with Herb Cohen and just a, a great, great guy. I'm trying to have him back on the program. And speaking of back on the program, Robert G. Allen has been a guest here on the Backyard Millionaire, and I'm hoping that we'll relive or revive that conversation with Robert here sometime later this month. Our, uh, that's what um, the producer and his uh, person are talking about. I'm hoping that we can bring him back to these microphones here because right now, dare I say, it's maybe never been more important to own more of your own backyard that you be the buyer versus BlackRock versus Vanguard versus some large corporate real estate investment trust that we saw over the last couple of years gobbling up properties. That is not good for your backyard. And I want you to own as much as possible, control as much as possible of your own community through real estate. That is the fundamental backbone of this country. It's constitutionally protected. Your rights to private property, to own and control property, and you can create wealth, you can keep and create wealth in your own backyard. And you can start with nothing down. Read my book, The Backyard Millionaire. You can pick it up on Amazon, wherever books are sold. Encourage your bookstore near you to carry the book. It's called The Backyard Millionaire, How to Create Wealth Where You Are with What You've Got. It's the story, a culmination of stories, mine included, uh, how to create wealth right where you are with what you've got. It's been a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you today. Chris Story for David Webb and myself reminding you to look forward in life, learn from your past, and never forget that the good life is lived right here in the present. See you next time. <laughs>